the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I'm the minister with the North Valley Church of Christ up here in Cave Creek, Arizona. I would love for you to be able to go to our website, www.nvcoc.net, and learn all about uh, what we do up here at North Valley. And you can also learn uh, a little bit about this radio program, because right there on that website, you'll see uh, a radio mic icon. You click on that, it'll take you to our blog page, and uh, you can not only listen to this episode, but all of our previous episodes as well. And you can uh, learn, learn a lot from that, I think. And in fact, if maybe uh, you have a few questions about the Bible, we'd love to hear uh, from you on that. So please uh, go there, uh, s- submit to us your, your questions. You can also uh, like us on Facebook. Uh, our Facebook page is facebook.com slash redeemingthetimeradio. And like us there and post questions there if you like as well. And uh, we'll get those answered here on the, on the radio program. Okay, we've been working through uh, the Sermon on the Mount and we're going to continue that today. I'll be finishing up chapter 5. We might get into chapter 6, uh, depending if we've got the time for it. But before we do that, uh, I want to, uh, again, remind folks out there who are listening, all the things that we've got going on uh, up here at North Valley, uh, some of the, the uh, events that are coming up. September is just full of all kinds of stuff. Uh, September... 12th and 13th, we have what's called the the Women's Retreat or the Ladies' Retreat. It's up at Copper Basin Bible Camp just outside of Prescott, Arizona. So it's a great time for you ladies to to get out of the heat of the summer, uh, get up there to Prescott, uh, get closer to God's Word and and discuss that amongst each each other, and it's a good fellowship for you. Uh, Right after that, the very next weekend, uh, September 18th, 19th, and the 20th, that's a Thursday to Saturday afternoon, is Tackling the Text Workshop. This is the second workshop we'll be doing. And uh, I'm directing that. Guy Orbison Jr. from Durango, Colorado will be speaking. And we'll be working through the entire book of Galatians. If you want more information on that, you know, send me an email. Get on our website. Let me know. And we'll, we'll get that sent to you. Then the next weekend in September, September 26th and 27th, is the Men's Retreat. Uh, same thing as the ladies, but it's just with the men. And we, we're going to have uh, Ray Miller speaking from the Olive Branch, or Olive Branch. I'm sorry, West Olive Church of Christ, and uh, and some other men. We, we would encourage you to come and, and hear them. In October, we have our gospel meeting here at North Valley with Mike Scott. He is the preacher in Prescott, and he does the the uh, he is the, the speaker and director for. What do the scriptures say? It comes on airs every Sunday morning. That's October 24th, 25th, and 26th. And then I think we're pretty clear for the rest of the year and nothing else going on until next year. So that's 
That's a lot, though. We have a lot happening, and uh, we encourage you to learn more about that. Let me know if you have any questions. Get on our website. Send those questions our way. So we've been working on the Sermon on the Mount uh, to kind of bring us back up to speed. We started uh, chapter 5, verses 21 to 48 last week. And um, in this section, um, uh, Jesus is talking about how a a heart-centered righteousness, uh, that is a heart that's centered on doing the right thing before God, surpasses a law centered righteousness. That would be a heart that's centered on just being right with God and not worrying about being uh, being right with all, not being worrying about being right with God. And that is the mindset and the heart of the scribes and Pharisees. And Jesus says there in verse 20 that unless your righteousness surpasses theirs, which doesn't uh, meet the standards that God set forth, unless, well, unless your righteousness surpasses theirs, you have no hope of entering the kingdom of heaven. And so we got. I think we got all the way through uh, verse thirty-seven. Uh, uh, if you remember, the, the first section was a murder versus anger. Here's uh, what you have heard it said. That is, here's what the scribes and here's what the Pharisees have taught on this. And but I say to you, Jesus, who is the Son of God, says, you know, even if you're upset with your brother, uh, it in your heart. You know, God knows when murder is coming for the intent of the heart is if you want to kill somebody, you're being judged there in your intent and in your heart. Adultery versus lust. Adultery would be actually committing the physical act of of, uh, cheating on your wife or your husband. And uh, the law said, you know, you cannot commit adultery. So it's okay to look, right? But Jesus says no. It is not okay to look. Even to look upon a woman with the intent in your heart, it is adultery already. False vows versus keeping your word. Don't, you know, you've heard it said that, oh, unless you swear by the gold of the temple, it's not really a swear at all. But Jesus says, just let your yes be yes. Be an honorable person. Let When you say yes to somebody, so be it. That's it. You said yes. Don't, it doesn't matter what you swear by. Your word matters. It's the intent of the heart. And then we get to verses uh, 38 uh, to 42 as well as the, the rest of the chapter. So let's go, let's read verses 38 to 42 as we continue through chapter 5. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said. Here's what you've heard from your the scribes and Pharisees, from your, your teachers of the law. You heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Okay, all right, we're going to have some interesting discussion on this perhaps, I don't know, but... uh, let me see. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you've heard it said. And here's, here's what they've said. An eye and eye for tooth for a tooth. Uh, you find this Old Testament teaching in Exodus 21-24, Leviticus 24-20, Deuteronomy 19-21. Uh, the intent of the law was for the offender to make things right toward the one he offended in some way. 
uh, to replace the loss of the offended by the offender, yet the scribes and Pharisees twisted the intent to allow the one offended to retaliate against the offender. They had made it a law that promoted revenge. So the scribes and Pharisees overlooked other teachings of the Old Testament that prohibited revenge, Leviticus 19.18, Proverbs 24.29. So not, not very surprising there to me, at least. But Jesus says, here's, here's the righteousness, and this is really what I want us to get into. Jesus begins his teaching, his counter-teaching, by giving a general principle and then following that with four specific illustrations that you just cannot misunderstand. The principle is stated in verse, the first part of verse 39, and it's really a prohibition against retaliation. The one who is evil is anyone that is doing something wrong. Jesus is speaking out against the getting even, the revenge attitude, which was promoted by the scribes and Pharisees. And so he places this principle in four common circumstances. That way he can illustrate the meaning. And it's very clear, and you just can't skirt around it. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. All right. What is he saying? We are not to give way to anger when struck on the cheek. The greater righteousness based on Christ's love in our hearts will actually turn the other cheek. Now we're going to get into that more and what he means by that in just a moment. Let's look at each one. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. I think he is referring here to our tendency to insist upon our rights, our legal rights, and me, me, me mentality. But the illustration is based on some evil individual suing us to take possessions of what rightfully belongs to us. According to Jewish law, you could sue to take a man's inner garment, but not his outer garment. Even if the outer garment was used to secure a pledge, it was to be returned to its owner by sundown. We find that in Exodus chapter 22 Verse 26, so since the poor often used it as a covering, we see that in Deuteronomy 24, 12 to 13. Now, Jesus is saying that the Christian approach to righteousness may occasionally involve suffering and injustice. Christians are not to react as the world commonly reacts to injustice and as the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees advocated uh, he, he's not only talking about our insisting on our personal rights and not about uh, um, abuses of the law and of the land or people breaking the law in a criminal act. We should stand firm against folks breaking law. He, he, what he's talking about is how, how we react as Christians. It's our heart. It's our intent. When someone punches me, what do you think my first reaction, what would your first reaction be? Punch back. It makes me angry. Jesus is saying you need to refrain from that. Do not become angry. Do not retaliate in the same way. You're different than this from this world. You know, Paul, or I mean, actually, let's look at Jesus. He could have reacted uh, this way easily, easily, and he would have had the right to when they were taking him to the cross. They had no right to crucify him, but he went willingly. Because he saw the greater good. He knew what was more important. 
Paul could have uh, retaliated against those who wanted to st- or who did stone him and do all these other horrible, harsh things to him. Well, he did not retaliate as the world does. However, he was trying to right wrongs when they were trying to say, "Oh, he brought Gentiles into the temple. We want him killed." And he, he appealed all the way to Caesar. He using the law. We didn't want people to break the law, but he wasn't going to retaliate in the same way the world retaliates. Verse 41, And whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. Now this has to do with being pressed into service, which the Roman authorities had the right to impose. Uh, Simon of Cyrene, for example, was forced to carry the cross of Christ. Uh, A Roman soldier could, by Roman law, require a citizen to carry his military pack for one mile. So Jesus is saying that instead of harboring resentment with a heart full of bitterness, the true disciple will cheerfully carry the burden a second mile. Now, I know you've probably heard people talk about, you know, imagine what that would do to the, the heart and the mind of the Roman soldier. I, I don't, I'm sure, yes, you, you can go there and make application there. But the point Jesus wants to get across is the intent of your heart. It's not about the other person, per se, although that's going, they're going to be affected, surely. But it, here he's talking about you, that his disciples. This is you and your heart. How do you react to being pressed into service? Well, you, you react by being more like Christ and doing those things that he has required of you. So whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him, verse 41 also, give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Again, this illustration differs from the others because there is no evil intent at getting to us in some way. It presents an individual in need that comes to seek help from you. Some may represent the fact that they must take uh, of their hard-earned cash and give it to those who failed in some way, and others might turn the circumstances in their favor by charging some fee or great interest. Jesus speaks through the resentful heart here, and he shows that a true disciple of his reacts to such circumstances from a heart of love and not a heart of greed. So, We don't want to misapply the teachings of Jesus here uh, in some mechanical way. He's not saying that you must sit idly by while people attack you and your family and steal everything you have. He's not saying that you are required to give anything to anybody that might ask you. That's not the point. Love does not foster crime or facilitate crime in others. Jesus threw out the money changers and overturned the tables in the temple. He stood firm against wrongdoing, and so must we. What Jesus is countering here is the attitude, that sinful attitude of resentment, the sinful attitude of revenge, which the religion of the scribes and Pharisees tended to promote. So we we need to look at the whole picture here. When someone slaps you, don't say, please slap me again on the other side. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about how you react to it. Your reaction would be almost as if you could be slapped again. It wouldn't bother you one bit. You need to have that heart of, man, let's let's not allow this to happen again, but I'm not going to slap you back for no reason at all. 
So that's um, um, that's verses 38 to 42, revenge, versus turning the other cheek. Uh, now let's look at verses 43 to the end of, cha- of the chapter, verses uh, 48. So 43 to 48, Jesus says, here it is. You have heard that it was said. Here's the old, here's the teachings that they're used to hearing. You shall love your neighbor. Okay, that's good, right? Yeah. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, man. Interesting, interesting, interesting. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Let's look at that first. You have heard that it was said. The law did not teach what the scribes and Pharisees taught here. It taught that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's what the law taught. But there's an addition that the scribes and Pharisees put in there. Hate your enemies. This was the result of their misapplication and their illogical reasoning. So if you were allowed to hate your enemies, that means you can mistreat your enemies. But Jesus says he counters this misteaching with correct understanding of God's will and with perfect logical reasoning. So let's look at this section by section, verse 44. He begins by flatly stating that we must love our enemies. These are our personal enemies or those who might be persecuting us. Even those who are killing other Christians out there right now, we need to have a love for them. That doesn't mean that we go up there and give them hugs. It's talking about that agape love. We choose to love them. If we see opportunity that we can bring them to Christ, we need to do that. But just be, but when they're going to come and, and kill our family, it doesn't mean that we need to allow that to happen. Okay? Jesus is not saying that. He's talking about our heart. David loved his enemy, Saul. Loved the man. He was God's anointed. But he didn't uh, uh, let Saul kill him or beat him up. He, well, well, I don't want to keep, get too far into that. We don't have that kind of time. All right, verse 45. Here is the reason. Jesus, he's going to get into the reason why we need to love our enemies. Because it, it's so contrary to our mindset. This is not how the world works. This is not how the world thinks at all. So why, Lord, do we need to love our enemies? In order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And this gives us the idea that the sons naturally bear the resemblance of their fathers. If if we are uh, begotten by God, if we are his children, that means his DNA, he, his spirit, who, uh, everything who God is, is in our genetic code. We will resemble what is characteristic of him. And I'm talking about the spiritual DNA here. I'm talking about who he is, the spirit of, of the Lord God in us. And so God or Jesus illustrates the character of God by reminding us that he extends sunshine and rain even upon his enemies. In other words, he does not hate those who hate him. 
And so he does not mistreat them. He does just the opposite. God loves in spite of our failings and sins. This requires him to seek our highest good and to treat us better than we deserve. And if we are his children, we will exhibit the same kind of love. Did we deserve to have his son come to this earth and die on the cross for our sins? No, not at all. We didn't deserve it, but he did it. And we need to respond to our enemies in the same way God responded to us. Because we are. We were. Those of us who are in Christ, we were his enemy. When we sin against him. And so, Jesus continues on, verses 46 and 47, he appeals to our logic. He has, throughout the, the, uh, the sermon so far, showed that his disciples are to live above the world. Our religion must lead us to a greater righteousness than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So if we love only those who love us, then our standard of righteousness is no different than the scribes and Pharisees or, the, or even the sinners of the world. Jesus has called us to a different way of life. In verse 47, we have a similar logical illustration about greeting. Uh, uh, the greeting was the simplest or, or the lowest expression of acceptance, to the, and the scribes and Pharisees would not even give this to their enemies. And so if Jesus' disciples withhold the greeting from their enemies, their religion is no improvement over the scribes and Pharisees. Your righteousness does not exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. And in verse 48, Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You better not have anything wrong with you whatsoever. That is not what it says. The word perfect there um, does not mean sinless or anything like that. Uh, Jesus, again, he, he, he offers the conclusion uh, to the appeal of his, to the logic. If we truly are the sons of God, then we must look like our Father. We must be perfect in our expressing love. The word perfect does not speak of sinless perfection, but comes from a Greek word that carries the idea of reaching a goal, reaching completion. So, like, it's, it's like from 0 to 100%, you've reached 100%, that means it's complete, or it's, it's a perfect, full, filled out uh, section. It's perfect, it's done, it's completed. And the goal isn't sinlessness, the goal is the expression of our love. If we only love those who love us and hate our enemies, our love is incomplete. It's not the full completion that we see in the Father, and we don't see it in us. And therefore, our righteousness does, righteousness does not surpass the scribes and Pharisees. We reach complete love by loving as God loves, both friends and enemies. In fact, even John mentions this way over in 1 John uh, chapter 4. When he says, starting in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. Why? For God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world 
so that we might live through him. There's an expression of God's love toward his enemies. And we need to love like he does. He is love, and we need to be just like him. Verse, down at verse 16. <clears throat> we have come to know uh, and have believed the love which God has for us because we see it, we saw it in Christ, and then that he sent him to die on the cross for our sins, us who were his enemy. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. That is, if you are in Christ, if you are, you are in his love. And if you have that, that means God abides in you. That means you need to have that same love. You, are, you have his DNA. You need to express love the same way he expressed love to us. God forgave you. Are you going to forgive others? God loved you. Will you love your enemies? God did. He's looking for the attitude. He's looking for that heart. He's not looking for the just outward signs. It needs to come from the heart. And God knows. You can't hide these things from the Lord. Now that brings us to the end of chapter 5. That's the end of the, that point on the, the uh, uh, a heart-centered righteousness surpasses a law-centered righteousness. In chapter 6, which we'll, we'll get into the, uh, next time, it's the whole chapter, and the title there is, A God-Centered Righteousness Surpasses a Self-Centered Righteousness. And when we get into this uh, uh, section, we're going to see that Jesus attacks the self-centered attitudes of the scribes and Pharisees. And uh, in this section uh, of the sermon, there are basically two points that, that Jesus is going to develop. The first one, verse, uh, in verses 1 through 18, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men. He, those are his words. And uh, what he's saying is, don't practice religion from a self-serving motivation, but from a God-serving motivation. The second part, verses 19 to the end of the chapter, verse 34, Live your life by trusting in God rather than yourself. And then he he goes in through to explain all that. This is a, it's a great section. You're going to really uh, uh, like that. I, I encourage you to, to be here with us uh, next week when we have this. If you missed any of the lessons we've done on the Sermon on the Mount, get on online. Go to www.nvcoc.net. Click on that radio mic. Listen to the past uh, shows. I have them right there for you uh, to, to click on and listen. It's easy to find. Send me any questions you have. Uh, let me know if you disagree or if you, you see something I didn't see, um, and I, I hope that, to hear from you. Thank you for, for joining me here today and being with us on Redeeming the Time. I encourage you to to listen again and uh, uh, be go to prayer to the Father and thank him for all the blessings he has given us. And, and most of all, thank him and our Lord for giving us this time to be able to study his word. Of every nation, bring the message out. Sin and doubt to sweep away till Shaddam the better day. Bring it out. Bring it out. Bring it out. Bring it out. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Bring it out. Bring it out. Bring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.